AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, folks, and welcome to Friday's Adams on Agriculture. I'm Mike Pearson, sitting in for Mike Adams. Today, we are going to be talking with Jackie Holland of Farm Futures about the move in fertilizer prices that has been quite drastic over the past month. Then Scott Gurlt, the economist, the American Soybean Association, is going to join us. We're going to talk about how all of these new soybean processing plants opening up across the country might benefit soybean growers long term. In the third segment, we're going to go to Washington, D.C. with Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor at Farm Progress, and we're going to talk about some of the things that are happening there in the nation's capital. And at the end of the show, we're going to chat with Chad Ingalls. He's a farmer in Northeast Iowa, Randalia, Iowa, and he's going to tell us how harvest is going in his part of the world. Thanks for taking the time to join us today, folks. Let's get started talking fertilizer. Jackie Holland from Farm Futures joins us now. Jackie that market is hot and has been for two weeks. Is natural gas still the primary driver of costs in the fertilizer uh, specter? Yes, Mike, it definitely is. Um, in Illinois, we saw updated prices come out from Illinois' uh, USDA branch of the AMS yesterday, um, and we saw a 33% increase in anhydrous ammonia prices over the last two weeks. Uh, that places average Illinois and hydrous ammonia prices at $1,135 a ton, which is over two and a half times the price it was this time last year. That is mind-blowing how quick that price has climbed. And Jackie, for a long time, it seemed like anhydrous was the discount fertilizer. But of course, it's still a little early in the season for growers to, to get some applied. Do you think, do you think these markets are going to keep running higher uh, for a while? I think there's definitely room for that. We're seeing tight global energy supplies, and um, we've heard reports of fertilizer fertilizer plants in the European Union and China shutting down just because they can't source enough fuel to create these inputs. Um, where I grew up in northwestern Illinois, the soil has still been too cold to apply anhydrous so far. So... You know, I think as we start to see some of this colder weather, um, we're definitely going to see that seasonal uptick take these prices higher. Jackie, talk to us a little bit about what's happening in some of the other fertilizers. UAN, DAP, MAP, are prices rising across the board? Yes, they are. You know, a lot of that is due to the supply chain disruptions we've seen due to the pandemic over the last year. Um, Hurricane Ida shut down the Bayer glyphosate plant in the Gulf. They're about five weeks behind their production schedule. Um, we've seen tariff disputes um, in the UN and phosphate markets over the past year that have really tightened the U.S.'s access to those products. Um, we, the U.S. also has had some diplomatic uh, placed economic sanctions on Belarus, um, and that has also greatly limited U.S. access to global potash supplies, too. Um, between that and labor shortages, uh, kind of all of these port backlogs, it's just, and the the also global increase in in row crop acreage. Um, we've seen China add five percent of corn production year over year, two percent to wheat acres. Uh, the U.S. increased corn closing and wheat acreage by four percent this year, and we know that Brazilian row crop acreage is only increasing too. So, not only are there limited supplies. Um, there's a lot of increased global competition that U.S. farmers face on these international markets for what supplies are available. 
That's true. And Jackie, these price surges are coming at really an inopportune time for agriculture. The industry has enough cash. They, in a regular year, I imagine would be making some, some pretty good forward purchases, locking up supplies for spring. But with this rally, Jackie, can we justify making those purchases or do should we sit back and wait to see if prices correct as we come through the winter? Do you think that's a possibility? You know, I think in these markets, Mike, it becomes less about farmers managing price risk and more about operational risk. Um, I think these speculative, or I think these shortage concerns are still a little speculative at this point, but based on what we've seen from the supply chain over the last year, they're very real. So talking with your uh, ag retailers sooner rather than later, to ensure that you can at least get on the list for those supplies is really important. Um, examining contract language uh, surrounding force majeure for a lot of those um, pre-purchase contracts is also really important. Um, and, and farmers may want to start seriously considering on-farm storage to make sure that they have these supplies available because as we all know, there is nothing worse, both from an operating standpoint and a profit standpoint, to hold up production or fertilizer application because you're waiting to get supplies. Yes, high returns for row crop commodities are only matter if you can get the crop in the ground and harvested. And Jacqueline, I want to ask, you've been researching the slowdown in China, the economic slowdown, and what it might mean next term for their imports. Is it a little too early in the year to say China's might be backing off their purchases of American corn and soy next year? So we are seeing lower soybean outstanding sales to China. Um, I I think they've purchased, or I think they've ordered about a third fewer soybeans uh, so far this year than they did the same time last year. And we're a little bit worried about um, the, hog, the hog market in China. Um, we're seeing that they're still heavily feeding corn and soybean rations, or corn and wheat rations. Um, so it definitely should make US, U.S. soybean producers a little bit concerned, especially as we're looking at a record setting, another record-setting crop out of Brazil this year. We are. Jacqueline, give us an update on that Brazilian crop. Is it getting in the ground in good condition? Yes, yes. I saw reports overnight that the crop received some beneficial rainfall. So all prospects are looking pretty good for the Brazilian crop so far. All right, Jackie, do we have any insight? Should growers running their combines today be getting those beans marketed right away or is it worth sticking some in the bin? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think farmers are already being very proactive about selling beans. Um, I'm hearing on the cash markets that river terminal supplies are really starting to bulk up because farmers are really not even giving those beans time to sit in their bins this year. A lot of those beans are being shipped directly into the export market, which is good for growers because um, with these higher fertilizer prices, we really need to be walking in those 2022 profit margins sooner rather than later. Sell when you can, not when you have to. Jacqueline Holland from Farm Futures, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. And folks, stay with us. When we return, we'll talk to Scott Gerlt of the American Soybean Association. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. These acres you've put your life into. Your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams this week. We're going to talk with Scott Gertz. He's the economist for the American Soybean Association next. Scott, you do a lot of research in this space. Talk to us a little bit about what has come across your desk recently when we're thinking about soybean processing plants. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on this morning, Mike. Yeah, it's been it's an exciting time right now in soybeans. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, a record crop this year, record soybean oil production, uh, and a lot of new announcements uh, all down supply chain for renewable diesel and, protein, um, and other oil seed processing plants. And what we're seeing now is, um, you know, I'm counting seven announcements for new uh, crushing plants out there um, to come online over the next several years, and that would add over 10% to our domestic capacity for crush. Uh, so it's, it's pretty exciting to watch. It's, there's a long-term growth going on. It, it is exciting, and they're being announced across a really wide geographic range. We've got North Dakota, Kansas. Where are some of these other plants projected to go in? Yeah, so you, you mentioned uh, two there. Um, Iowa and Illinois and Minnesota is where those other ones are with tracking. And the Kansas one was just announced a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the North Dakota plant, that would be um, the first plant up there. Um, so, it's, yeah, it is quite a bit across the soybean producing region. And Scott, I mean, I think the question that, that I ask when I hear this many announcements coming all at once is, can the market handle this much more crushing capacity? Is, is the demand for oil strong enough and long lasting enough to justify these investments right now? Uh, Mike, the uh, demand for oil right now is definitely strong. Uh, I do believe it will be long lasting enough as well. So, so basically, um, soybean crushing margins are, are very high right now. Uh, you know, your listeners have probably heard about the growth of renewable diesel that's being in the California market. Um, actually, soybean oil has become 50% of the value of crushing of the crush, where it's historically is 30, 35%. And so the 
the market is asking for uh, more soybean products to be available. And so this is a response to that. Um, you know, with those renewable diesel plants being built, that's, that's going to be some long-term demand. And so I think there's going to be long-term needs domestically. And, you know, over 10% growth in the crush is, is great. That's, that's a lot. But that's still, you know, I mean, historically, we've still um, exported, you know, 60% of our beans. So, so there's a lot of beans here um, that, that can be crushed. Scott, with that in mind, you know, the idea to build a crush plant, crush the bean here, extract that greater margin, and then export the products is, is one that I've been hearing soybean growers in particular talk about for some time. Is that still a model you think the industry should pursuing? Is, is there even more capacity for crush plants looking down the, the pipe into the future? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of these crush, all of this growth is being driven by the oil, the, the domestic demand for the soybean oil. So I, I think that will be staying here, um, soybean oil. There, there's just a lot of demand for that, honestly. Um, a lot of these renewable diesel plants that are being announced, some of those aren't going to be able to be built just because of um, some of those constraints. Now, the meal side gets a little more interesting, and I think it's kind of an open question, um, what, you know, what, where some of this meal is going to go. Um, yeah, it'd be great if we could keep some of the value from crushing here at home. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, you know, so many animals here domestically, um, and, you know, we want to feed those. But at some point, you know, if we can crush a lot, we're going to have to think about sending some of that meal abroad. Certainly. You know, we were talking with Jim Sutter on yesterday's episode about the demand that's growing for beans and bean meal in what would have been unlikely places. You know, he mentioned Egypt and Bangladesh. Are there other paid mm -hmm. places around the world you're watching which could be a market for uh, this new domestic meal production that's coming online? Yeah, and, and Jim Sutter is definitely the expert in that. And, you know, those are two I would, I would name. Um, you know, China has, has obviously been a, a big buyer of soybeans. Uh, of the raw soybeans, they, they crush them there domestically. Um, but for some of the trade friction, trade wars we've had the past few years, we have seen new places such as uh, Egypt really come on strong. And there's a there's a growing demand globally for protein um, that soybeans provide. And so I, I do think there will continue to be strong demand internationally for the beans and the products. Scott, when we think about all of these announcements, I know these plants aren't going to be built overnight. What's your thought on when these plants might actually start driving bids in local areas? Are we a year away or five years away? Right. So on my list, I have the first of these new plants coming in uh, in just over a year. Um, and, and that is kind of spread out through 2024. We're a good chunk of them. We'll, we'll come out by that year. So it's going to be a, a few years really before there starts to be a lot of local back in the basins um, from these plants, you know, and I'd love to see more plants getting announced. I, you know, I think we could use them. Um, but yeah, these plants take some time to develop, so it's not going to be overnight um, before they'll be uh, purchasing soybeans. Scott, have you been able to do any research yet on what these plants might do for basis in the geography in which they're being built? And I'm thinking that that North Dakota market in particular. Oh, that's that's a great question, Mike. And I, you know, I don't have the numbers offhand. I, I haven't done that research, um, but I will just comment qualitatively that you know those those markets up there, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, that region, they've traditionally set pretty much. Um, most of the beans to the west coast through the Pacific Northwest to export to Asia. Um, so actually being able to process those um, some of those beans domestically is going to be a game changer up there. It gives them a lot more options than they have had in the past. It certainly does. And I imagine, Scott, we could probably apply a very similar mode of thinking to the, the plant in Kansas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it, I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing them pop up in, in new places. And, yeah, and um, going back to like, the North Dakota plant, that's actually um, going to be sending its oil uh, to renewable diesel facilities. So we're kind of seeing, uh, we're seeing it. Better here, they're looking for dedicated sources of oil. Um, and so, you know, that's it's been an interesting phenomenon um, to see some of these uh, paired up with renewable diesel plants. 
It certainly is. But even when they're producing that oil for renewable diesel, there's still meal coming out of those plants. Scott, we have watched this meal market rise and fall quite sharply over the past year. As these plants come online and those meal volumes increase across the country, this could also be a win for American livestock producers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the point we've, we've been making to is, um, you know, the, the increase in demand for oil is good for livestock producers. It's good for meat consumers um, because, it's, you know, well, while we've seen oil prices go up, like you mentioned, we really haven't seen the same for meal. Meal is relatively cheap right now. Um, and, and so that's, that's definitely a win. Um, you know, we're we have one side of the beam, the oil, you know, there's a lot of demand for uh for it for this lower carbon intensity than petroleum fuels and consumers, but for the livestock producers and meat consumers. Indeed. So when those plants start to come online, Scott, and this meal starts to make its way out there into the countryside, I'm assuming it's still way too early. We're still a year or two away from being able to determine what kind of impact that might have on on meal pricing. Would you say? Yeah, we're. I think we're a little early. I mean, we. You know, we could run some numbers through some economic models, but it's, um, I, I don't know that anyone has exactly looked at it, what the price effect will be, um, to my knowledge. Um, but yes, it, it will help, it will help um, provide more affordable, cheaper, all else equal um, to livestock producers out there. You know, one of the key components of getting this meal to the folks who need it, whether it's domestic livestock producers or international buyers, is transportation. Scott, where these plants are going to be located, are they going to have adequate access to either rail or barge shipping to help distribute some of the meal that uh, might be coming out of them? You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, in some of those, like uh, a plant, you know, in Kansas is going to be close to a lot of the, um, or some of the livestock facilities there. Um, you know, uh, you know, when you get to Iowa, especially Illinois and Minnesota, you're, you're getting into kind of pork producing region. Um, so that's probably not much of a concern. Um, you know, the North Dakota plant, I have not actually looked to see what rail facilities they would have close, but they would obviously need them to, to transport that meal to, to, um, more of the livestock centers. So, I mean, it's a very important point. There has to be good access, um, for the meal because the meal is 80% of the uh, soybean by weight. So um, even if you have a renewable diesel plant next door, you're still going to have uh, a good chunk of that bean that's going to have to be sent off to livestock. And Scott, I mean, I think the final question is all of this enthusiasm for renewable diesel. Is it just a fad, do you think, or will this demand be here to stay? I, I'd like to think it's here for a while. Um, I mean, there's pretty substantial investment going on, but I, I think there is a lot of commitment out there to this. Um, you know, this is being driven um, by the California market, uh, largely in some other incidents. And so I, I do think that right now the demand is for lower carbon fuel for reduced greenhouse gases. So I, I'm optimistic that this will continue for quite a while. Optimistic that it'll continue for a while and be a benefit to American soybean growers. Thanks to Scott Girl from the American Soybean Association for joining us this morning. When we return, Jackie Fatka, the Farm Progress Policy Editor, will join us to talk about what has happened this week in D.C. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
You're listening to AOA. I'm Jessica Benson. It's a bit of a mixed start for grain and livestock futures this morning, with the wheat complex ultimately leading grain futures. And as volatility continues, corn futures are firm to begin today as harvest presses on in the center of the country. And as inflation fears widen, funds appear to be taking on more risk in commodities as open interest has increased lately. Soybean suffered a bit of a pummeling yesterday, but soybean export sales for last week were huge at 105. 6 million bushels, which is the largest since September 2020, and China was accounted for a good percentage of those sales. It's a strong start for wheat today, and world wheat exports continue to move higher, and world importers are not dissuaded by those recent high prices. On the Board of Trade, December corn is up 6 at 538 and a quarter. November soybeans are up 1 and a half at 1225 and a half. December soybean meal is up 220 at 326.20 a ton. December soybean oil is up 5 points at 6263. December Chicago wheat is up 16 and 3 quarters at 758. December KC wheat is up 24 and a quarter at 772. And Minneapolis spring wheat for December is up 19 and 3 quarters at 1005. Hog futures are leading the livestock complex to start this morning. And the hog industry is working through the number of hogs readily available to the market, with numbers expected to tighten by the end of the year. But hog numbers are still pretty large and may remain that way through the end of the year before supply will tighten and demand will improve. That cattle on feed report today could show a surprise in numbers, which would cause traders to react positively. But even if cattle on feed numbers come in as expected, it will still be the second largest number on record, leaving a lot of beef available to the market. On the Board of Trade December Live cattle are up two cents at 129.57. November feeders are down 40 cents at 158.67. And lean hogs for December are up 75 cents at 73.95. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jessica Benson. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA this morning. Mike Pearson here sitting in for Mike Adams this week. We appreciate all of you taking the time to tune in to us today. We're going to go to Washington, D.C. next. We're going to talk with Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor at Farm Progress. Jackie, there was some movement in the House yesterday on a bill to create a cattle contract library. Can you tell us a little bit about what was passed yesterday? Yes. Well, thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's always great talking with you. Uh, obviously, a lot of folks across the country uh, are, are concerned about the prices that they're receiving for their cattle. And so the hope, and there's been a lot of discussion really since last year in 2020, and this this bill that was passed out of the House Agriculture Committee, which is the Cattle Contract Library Act of 2021, is really about trying to provide some more data, some more understanding about some of those alternative marketing arrangements that folks receive. So a lot of these smaller producers are just having to take whatever price the packer tells them. And they don't know what those other marketing arrangements offer to some other producers. So the thought with this cattle contract library is that it would give cattle producers more knowledge on being able to maybe negotiate more fair prices. Um, now, whether that that works or not, we will see. Um, this is something that's actually been done in the swine industry, where being able to share more information about those alternative marketing arrangements does provide a little bit more transparency 
and this is done through the USDA's uh, AMS. They are the ones who do that reporting. Um, the the livestock mandatory reporting authorization was to expire in September 2020, and then they extended it for a year, and it was actually at the end of September of 2021, and they've again extended it until the start of December as part of the continuing resolution. So this is out of the House Ag Committee. We can see this included in LMR reauthorization, which would be needing to be done here in the next month or so as part of those continuing resolution discussions. And and then we'll see if, if it does provide the, the transparency that's really desired in this industry. So Jackie, this con cattle contract library, this would basically be if, if I'm a, a feed yard in Kansas and I have negotiated a, a grid arrangement with the packer that we're selling uh, fat cattle to, basically that arrangement that I've lined up with the packer would be filed with the 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 USDA and, and that would allow other producers to see my contracts. Is that how this is going to work? So your contract conditions might be, but it's not going to say X, X feedlot was the one that obtained this price. But the thought is having a whole library, basically having a whole listing of all of those prices that it would allow that smaller producer to say, hey, well, you offered 110, 120, and 125 to these feedlots. I would like 120. I feel like that my 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 cattle meet that description and 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 so that's that's part of how they're hoping that this would kind of help provide some leverage for independent producers um the question is there is a lot of data that's actually already available and so there is a lot of data out there how producers use that that's that's one thing that that they're hoping to bring to shine some more light on it, but they're not going to call out. And but that's a fear. The fear is that you're going to actually harm those folks who do have these marketing arrangements. And a lot of folks in the cattle industry do have uh, some of these arrangements, especially in the South. And so this also brings in there's some other proposals on the table on increased cash sales. Uh, Senator Grassley in Iowa, along with John Tester out of Montana have called for a 50-14 plan, they call it, which would require more cattle be sold on the cash market. Because even if we might know all of these folks who are new, you know, we have a better idea of the prices, right? If we don't have more being sold on the cash market, then maybe that information isn't as useful. And so there's a lot of cattle groups who do support this cattle contract library. RCAF is actually one of them who have decided that they don't support this and that part of it is because just by increasing the volume in the price discovery market and decreasing the volume of contracted cattle that actually might have some uh, they see that as a better way to improve some of the problems in the in the market right now which overall the problem is is that we're seeing really high cattle beef prices at the grocery store beef box prices at the grocery store, but cattle producers sometimes are not able to capitalize on some of that. And so the question is, are, are packers taking advantage of folks or is there other factors at play? Yeah. And you mentioned RCAF not supporting the cattle contract library. However, NCBA, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, American Farm Bureau, U.S. Cattlemen's Association, the Farmers Union, and the Livestock Marketing Association have all come out in support of this thing. Jackie, did, do you think that gives it enough political firepower to make it into that mandatory reporting reauthorization? Uh, I, I think so. And, you know, this is a bipartisan bill that has folks on both sides of the aisle from different parts of the country. It's actually introduced by Representative Johnson from South Dakota and uh, from Sellier from Texas. And so very different cattle producing regions. Right. And it's bipartisan. You have a lot of folks who have been with them. And this is actually something that came out of a USDA report that was not influenced by politics. It was just looking at what happened in July 2020. They they had a kind of an overview of some of the issues that were impacting the, the cattle market. And this was one of the suggestions that came out of that was to have a cattle contract library to kind of try to shine a light on what's going on. And then maybe that's a first step. And I think everyone knows that there is no one single solution that's going to fix the cattle market. And this is a step in the right direction. And so hopefully, yes, we might see this included in LMR and, and start to see whether that addresses 
some of the concerns and then they can build on it from there. And so once we do maybe see this in place, then that provides that foundation for whether there needs to be future steps in additional directions. Okay. And on Monday, Senator Charles Grassley, sponsor of that 5014 bill, will be with Mike Adams on Adams on Agriculture. So do be sure to tune in. Jackie, I want to take our focus back to the thing that has been using all the headline space for the past two months. It's the infrastructure bill and the budget reconciliation. Both, it seems, have been on hold this past week. Has anything materially changed with either of those two programs as we maybe proceed towards a vote? So a lot of discussions a lot of discussions. Uh, President Biden has been very active in trying to come up with a solution of how to get this across the finish line. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago with the, the what they're calling it the Build Back Better plan, but we've been calling it the budget reconciliation because that's the process how they would they would get it, which is the more human infrastructure side, some of the climate components, some of the uh, free education, childcare, those types of things are in this bigger Build Back Better plan, as they're calling it. And then you also have that infrastructure. So we've had this poll back and forth on whether you have it go alone with the infrastructure, which does have bipartisan support from the Senate, but how you get that to go forward. So this week, I would say the biggest update this week is that President Biden continues to have those folks on both sides of the issue. Obviously, as he said last night in a CNN town hall, when you have 50 senators who are Democrats, almost every one of them is a president. Everybody has the power to say, no, I'm not going to support that. And he's got to figure out a way. So really the biggest two senators that he's trying to woo to support the provisions include Senator Manchin from West Virginia and Senator Sin Cinema from Arizona. And, okay. and and that that, you know, getting them to support, it's now we're trying to tweak away at that. He's very he's very hopeful. Jackie, I know you've written about this. We've talked about it on the show before. The IRS monitoring of bank accounts that have a value of more than $600, getting those total inflows and outflows reported. I've seen a lot of people talking about that. Is there any chance that's going to come out of the bill? Have we heard anything from the folks in D.C. on that uh, change in wording? Uh, fingers crossed. I think it's crazy. That's why I wrote my D.C. Dialogue blog about that this week. I've kind of been sitting on it, hoping that we hear it actually get pulled. Um, I will say that the there's been a bill in the Senate by Senator Ernst from Iowa, who that was introduced this week to actually, if it is included in whatever final package, this, this bill that she introduced actually prohibits IRS from enforcing it. So she's trying to kind of be proactive. Um, there's also some action on the House side, similar, similar fashion to try to prevent this from going into effect. So nobody wants to see that. It's not going to help anything. Uh, they're trying to crack down on those folks who may not be paying their taxes. But we know, especially for farmers, it $600 deposited in or out of your account, well, you know, withdrawn or put in that that impacts every everybody, everybody. Yes. Yes, it certainly does. Jackie, do you think we're going to get a vote next week on either the Build Back Better or the infrastructure plan, or are they just going to keep kicking this can down the road? Ah, they keep, they keep, <laughs> they they keep stalling. Um, I I do not see that it's going to get done uh, next week. Um, I think there's some some rush to try to get it ahead before Biden heads to Scotland for the COP26 conference. And so I think there's there's some hopes. He's been very involved. He said he has had over 100 hours of negotiating on this. I just, it is a, it is a big hill. And I think they are really trying to figure out what are the priorities. And I, gosh, I don't want it to be done in a week. Like, don't you think we should see something that is such a transformative bill have more time to actually dig through what is and isn't in it than just a week. I mean, even if, yeah. if they released it today, I feel we would all be better served if we had more time than just cramming it through. My my, yes. my pol political uh, opinion doesn't have much weight, but gosh, I think there was a lot of people on the, the real countryside who would prefer to really know and understand what's in that bill before it gets passed. I think you're exactly right, Jackie. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And listeners, when we return to Adams on Agriculture, we'll be talking to chatting about harvest in Northeast Iowa. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, 
Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. When it comes to maintaining your equipment, look to FS for products you need to keep it running efficiently and smoothly. If your equipment is newer and requires diesel exhaust fluid, FS and many local fast stop locations have it in convenient jugs or in bulk. If you need dispensing equipment for your shop or garage, our knowledgeable energy specialists can help with that too. FS, the people and the products to take you further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Why do I plant NK Seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable. 
now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Thanks for joining us today for Adams on Agriculture. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams this week, and it's time to get a harvest update. We're going to Northeast Iowa. Farmer Chad Ingalls joins us for today's show. Chad, how are things going up in your neck of the woods? Oh, things are going real well. We've had a last few days. Days have been real good for guys to uh, uh, kind of work on finishing up bean harvest. I think most guys are done with that or on their last uh, field or two. And of course, car- corn harvest is underway and moving along pretty quick. So, what have you been hearing from your neighbors? How have yields been looking on those beans? Beans have been pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, I know on our farm, it's going to probably be our best ever. And a lot of guys have I've talked ran into said the kind of the same thing. So not sure where all they all came from, but we had some pretty timely rains in August and first part of September during fill, and so that really helped out. Well, let's talk about that those corn yields up there. I know I know farmers have been running so far. Have yields on corn been coming in higher than expected? Yep, they've been coming in real well. I personally haven't done a lot of corn yet to get a good handle on it, but I know that. Uh, I've seen some yields and heard some people talking. It's doing real well as well. So maybe not record yield, but doing very well for for being a drought year. Chad, you're you're not just a farmer. Uh, you're also a, a member of the Iowa State House. And uh, this past year, you introduced the Butchery Innovation and Revitalization Program. It was signed into law. I know it's open now. Give our listeners an update. What does that program do in the state of Iowa? Yep, so that's a program that provides grants up to $50,000 for small and medium-sized lockers uh, across Iowa um, to increase capacity, improve efficiency, um, offer additional um, opportunities for their farmer customers or or meat-loving customers uh, to to do potentially branding and that type of thing. the application for that program opened up on Monday and runs through November 15th, and I believe they're really looking at getting the awards announced by the middle of December, so it's moved along pretty well. And Chad, tell us, what, why was this an issue that was important to you and something you wanted to focus on when you got down to Des Moines into uh, last year's legislative session? Yep, so even before I ran for the legislature, this year was my, my first year, and so even before I ran... Uh, we had a lot of discussions, farmers not being able to get livestock into the locker timely and, and customers wanting uh, more access to some locally grown meat. Then, of course, during the pan- initial stages of the pandemic, lockers were just swamped. And so we, we really looked at needing more capacity. Um, during 2020, uh, Iowa, through the CARES Act, uh, provided about $4 million to lockers average about $30,000 per locker that they received to buy equipment to, to do upgrades. Um, but through that process, we found out that there was probably at least another three or $4 million more of need or interest out there. So that's where this uh, legislation kind of came from. And you're a small meat producer as well. Can you talk a little bit about the operation you have direct retailing uh, pork and other things? Yep, so I uh, kind of raise pigs uh, in retro fashion. Everything's in deep bedded pens or outdoors. Um, and sell to a part, most of my uh, operator marketing goes to a company called Nyman Ranch, but I also do a, a fair amount of direct marketing to customers uh, through our local lockers. And so, firsthand, I had experience of not being able to get hogs uh, scheduled in a timely fashion. And um, customers that, that wanted, wanted meat. And you know, when your freezer's empty, uh, you kind of want it sooner than later. So that, that helps spur it along my ideas behind the legislation too. Well, you know, we think back to during the, the 
boom days of the pandemic shutdown. And by boom days, I mean, everything was closed down. We heard lockers booking one, two years out in advance. Have we seen those locker times come down? Have the lockers you work with on the farm side been able to, to increase their production? Yep, I've been actually been able to sneak some pigs in here and there. I know on the beef side, that seems more scheduled out a little further, um, kind of into 2022. Some I've heard even starting 2023. But uh, uh, the ones I work with, I've tried to free up. And, you know, um, people got maybe a little bit of afraid of not being able to get things scheduled and overbooked. And so some of those appointments have been canceled. So I think it's getting a little better. And I know here in 2021, there were at least 20 lockers scheduled to open up new facilities or refurbished facilities to meet that demand. So uh, people are working on it all across the state. It's good to see competition coming back for uh, for that beef and that pork being raised on farms across the country. Jed, speaking of markets, we've got to talk about corn and soybean basis in your part of the state, Northeast Iowa. Are basis levels holding up pretty well? Yep, things are pretty, staying pretty steady. Um, I know our ethanol plant has occasionally has a kind of a flash bid here and there, but uh, just kind of plugging along pretty steady, both on the corn and bean side from what I've been seeing. And up there, Northeast Iowa, most of that corn going in for ethanol, or do you still have a lot of elevators, you know, uh, uh, grinding feet? Yep, so uh, probably in that neighborhood about 50% going to ethanol and 50% to feed, I would guess. Um, I know a majority of ours that doesn't go into feed goes straight to the ethanol plant. So, Well, that's good to hear that basis is staying strong. Did you have any concerns with disease as you're getting ready to uh, to wrap up that corn crop? Is everything standing okay? Everything's standing really well. Um, oh, here in September, we did have a wind event go through uh, just kind of south and west of me. So there were some fields that were laid down pretty well. And uh, those guys are getting after that to try to get that picked up. But uh, the majority standing really well so far, but we'd like to get it in out of the field sooner than later. Well, we'll let you get back to work. Chad Ingalls, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. And folks, tune in on Monday. Mike Adams will be back behind the microphone and he'll be talking with Sarah Wyant, John Baranek about weather, and Iowa Senator Charles Grassley will be joining him. So tune in on Monday to Adams on Agriculture. Have a good weekend. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com.